I think you have to be passionate about your craft. So you have to have that passion. If you're not interested in what you're doing, forget it. Go and find something else to do. Welcome to Executive Realness, the show where we learn from the women behind the world's most innovative companies. This interview was recorded as part of a live Stack World event. If you haven't already, make sure you download the Stack World app today, available on Android and iOS, and perhaps you can attend our next live podcast event. My guest today is an icon and record breaker in the spirits industry. Joy Spence is a Jamaican chemist and master blender at Appleton Estate. She was the first female master blender in the spirits industry and recently celebrated over 40 years at Appleton Estate Rum. In 2005, she received the Order of Distinction in the rank of officer by the Government of Jamaica for her service and contributions to the spirit industry. In this episode, you can expect to learn about the importance of honing your craft, having passion for your work, building relationships and networks throughout your career, and the long-lasting influence of our role models. I do hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to welcome you to this very exclusive conversation with Joy Spence. She's been traveling the globe, doing everything, so we're absolutely grateful that she's here with us tonight. Joy's prestige in the spirits industry rose at a time when rum was mainly made and drank. I didn't realize women didn't drink rum back in the day, only by men. Her 1997 appointment as the master blender at Appleton Estate Jamaica Rum actually made her the first ever female master blender across the globe, not just for rum, but for everything. So this is a major achievement. At once an artist and a scientist, Joy has created some of the finest rums, and I learned today, Magnum, that the world has ever seen. Yeah, we all, everyone knows that one. Not many people know that they a keep it under the quiet. secret, don't tell anyone. <laughs> a true pioneer, she leads the way on quality, craft, and innovation at the Appleton Estate in Nassau Valley in Jamaica. It's my absolute pleasure. Gets, let's give a big round of applause and welcome Joy Spence. <laughs> Thank you. So Joy, I really want to start off with your early life and your childhood because you had such an incredible story and it seems to me like you were very tenacious from a young age. Where did you grow up in Jamaica? Well, first of all, I was adopted. So my biological parents came from St. Elizabeth, but um, my mom had me in Mandeville because there were no hospitals in St. Elizabeth. And then my adopted mom took me from birth from the hospital and we spent about two years in Manchester then we came to Kingston and my mom had a a very interesting story she said that she took me to preschool at age three and one day when she went to pick me up she saw me on a bench standing and teaching the rest of the class where was the teacher she didn't come to school that day (laughs) so i took charge Mm. and took over the classroom and she saw me on the blackboard she says you know you're going to be great one day and and so i was very bold and tenacious Mm. from from that time and and i had leadership skills from Mm. then from a young young age from yes from three and what did your parents (laughs) (laughs) what did your parents do to cultivate that tenacious Behavior. My father, my adopted father, he was very big on education. Mm. And so they weren't wealthy, but he made sure that I got all my school books, that um, I did my homework, 
He provided a desk. I remember him making a, a desk unit for me with a chair. And he cut his hand because he did carpentry sometimes. And I felt so sad. I cried and I cried. You cut your hand making this desk for me? And so I went inside. I got a towel, wrapped him up, and we went to the doctor. And, you know, it was very touching, but he, he just wanted the best for me. Yeah even to build the desk with his own hands. With his own hands. I remember growing up how important having a desk in my bedroom was just to be able to focus on my studies and do my homework. I loved it, felt like my little space, you know, to myself. So you studied chemistry at degree level, but were you showing signs of an interest in STEM subjects, science from an early age? Yeah, when I was in third form, I had this amazing- How old is third form, sorry? 13. 13, yeah. Yes, I had this amazing chemistry teacher and so she became my second mom. Mm. So I would stay in the evening with her and help her to prepare the reagents for the laboratory for the upper school. And so I became very passionate about chemistry, knew uh, much more than the upper school in chemistry. I used to actually help the upper school students with chemistry. And when I was in fourth form, she went to have her second child. And we got the message one morning that she died in childbirth. And it was very devastating for me, and I made a vow that in her honor, I'll become the greatest chemist I can be. So when I graduated from high school, I went to the University of the West Indies, hopefully to become a medical doctor. Mm. <laughs> Wait, was that because you were very passionate about what happened with your teacher? Because yes. black maternal health is something we talk a lot about the stat, we know that black mothers die in childbirth globally. So is this driven by your was experience? It my experience. But then I realized I couldn't handle trauma. Mm. So people were coming in, you know, totally um, cut, bruised, blood flowing, and I would just freeze. Right? I couldn't help them. Mm. So I said, you know something, let me continue on the straight path of chemistry. So I just continued with a straight chemistry degree. When I graduated, I started to lecture at the university. Then one day, I looked on the notice board, and I saw OAS is offering a scholarship to Loughborough. And it was a very, very good scholarship because they were provided airfare, they paid this, the school fee, they paid accommodation, I got a stipend. I said, let me just send in my application. And I did, and I got the OAS scholarship, and I came up to Loughborough. And again, that was a very, very interesting experience for me. My first time coming to the UK. How uh, old were you then? At that time, I was at Loughborough, I was about 23. So you're 23 years old and you came to England by yourself for the first time. What was that like? Listen to me. Of course, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a straight flight. So I arrived, then I realized I have to take a train. Mm. Then they put me at some end of the train and tell me I had to go to the front of the train and I have these two suitcases because I'm coming out for a whole year. Pulling, 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 And it's pulling. the hand suitcase. Remember those ones back it's in the days. day? <laughs> then when I reach, I have to come off. Then I hear I have to take a bus now to reach university. And so I struggled in and went into hall. The hall was a nice hall. Most of us were um, coming from like third world countries in that particular hall. And I guess it was a very interesting experience. I didn't realize that so many people didn't even know about Jamaica when I was there in 1976. Because um, I remember I was sick one day and I went to the doctor and he asked me if we have chickens in Jamaica. I said, what do you mean if we have chickens in Jamaica? We have anything in Jamaica that you have here in the UK. But he just didn't understand. Yeah. 
we know what Jamaica was all about, so I had to do a little Jamaica um, information centre <laughs> at the <laughs> university for people to come. Really? Yes, but I found another mentor there. Mm. So there was a lecturer there, um, Professor James Miller, because he had to select um, a particular project to do your master's research project. I saw his project and I said this was fascinating. And everybody feared him. They said, no, 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 nobody works with James Miller. He was a scary, like scary. formidable character. Yeah, when you look at him coming down, you know, you don't want to even say hi. But I said, you know something, I am going to approach this man. So I approached him and I said, I'd like to work on your project. He says, really? The man was so warm and gentle mm. underneath. He just had that stern exterior, but he was a beautiful soul. Mm. And so I worked with him and um, I topped the class. Yeah. Topped the class, got the highest score they ever had at university at that time. And we, we kept in touch with each other. So I'd send rum to him every year. <laughs> and you know, we kept in touch until he died, God rest his soul. But it was a wonderful experience. Then when I completed my master's now, I got a scholarship to do my PhD here. Um, one of the big pharmaceutical companies offered me a job. But guess what? I need to go home back to Jamaica. Mm. I love my country yeah. and I miss Jamaica. So I said, Tata, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody said to me when I came back to Jamaica, are you mad? You're crazy. You got a PhD scholarship. You could work with one of the pharmaceutical companies and you come back here. I said, yes, I want to help to build Jamaica. Mm. I just want to help to build my country. And we've seen that a lot where programs in the UK, they get students from all over the world and then they keep them there and they call it a brain drain. And then that talent doesn't go back mm. to their countries. Were you aware of this or, you know, how were you thinking about this when you were like, I want to go back and support Jamaica? Yes, a lot of them stayed and I never returned home. But I know I had to go back to Jamaica and contribute. I, I got this opportunity to do a master's in chemistry. So I wanted to carry back and you know, share that knowledge with other young women in particular in Jamaica. So when you came back, what did you do? Where did you land? When I came back, I worked at university for a little bit. And then I got bored and I said, OK, I, let me apply to Tiamaria for the research chemist position. So I applied, got the position. And that was in 1978. And then it was a one product operation. Mm. So I, the one drink that they made, one the liqueur, drink that one coffee made. liqueur. And yeah. I have to multitask. I have to be yeah. doing a lot of things at the same time. They recognized how bored I was. So she said, OK, do chemistry in the morning. In the evening, go and do PR with the marketing mm. team. So I went with the marketing team in the evenings. And then on my days of boredom, I look across the fence. And there is Jerry and Neville. People looking busy, people looking happy, smiling, tankers rolling in and out. And I said, you know something, that's a happening place to work. So I sent my resume over there. And strange enough, I got a call for an interview. So when I went for the interview, they said to me, you know, we don't really have any job openings here. We just wanted to have a talk with you. So we had a nice talk. And I went back over and I said, well, this is destiny. I'm stuck at Tia Maria. <laughs> and Three weeks later, I got a call mm. and they said, we created a new position for you, the position of chief chemist, because we want you to modernize the laboratory at Jerry and Neville. So I thought long and hard, because guess what, everyone? I went for significantly less salary. And I know you young people don't believe in looking at the future and looking you know, where you can see potential for growth. Mm. And money is not everything. Always remember that. So 
When I was leaving, the production manager said to me, you know you're going to be great over there. Mm. He just said that. And I said, really? I said, I was going over there as a chief chemist. He says, I'm telling you. So when I joined there now, I met the previous master blender, another mentor, and another man that everybody feared. Mm. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> <laughs> so he worked in this little room, and nobody would go in that room to mm. see what he was doing. I said, look here, I only have two answers to any question, yes or no. So I knocked on his door one day. I said, can I come in to see exactly what you're doing? He said, sure. So I went in, and this was a whole world of sensory evaluation. Because mm. he, he wasn't a chemist. He just did the artistic side, yeah. where he would know all the different rums, know the flavor profiles, how to blend them together to create all the be beautiful um, flavors in the Appleton range. And he recognized that I had excellent sensory skills. So he says, you know something? I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to tutor you. And with your knowledge of chemistry and your sensory skills, one day you'll become an excellent blender. And so when he retired, after 45 years. 45 years? Yes. And then in his 41st year, I looked at him and I said, you're a lunatic. Who could be working in any company for 41 years? But guess but what, here everyone? Here I am, 42 years later. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I just remember that conversation. So um, when he retired, I was appointed the master blender. And believe it or not, again, it was another male who saw the potential in me. Mm. And Anthony Bell, I'll never forget him. And he went to the senior director and said, I'm going to appoint her as a master blender because he got a lot of flack yep. from the male manager saying, no, a woman cannot do this job. It has always been a male dominated job. And he says, I have the greatest, greatest confidence in her that she's going to be great one day. What, it, what do you think it is that they saw in you from James Miller, Owen and Anthony? What do you think they saw in you to take you under their wing and mentor you? I have a passion for detail. Mm. I am very dedicated in whatever I'm doing, so I will go the extra mile in whatever I do because I just want to see everything perfect and line up. And sometimes that's a problem at the office when we have events and I tell them that color is wrong. I know you should be having that with copper. And, <laughs> and everybody says, okay, Joe, all right, fine. We're going to get it right. But I'm just a stickler for details. Yeah, yeah. And it made them feel safe because they knew that the products were in safe hands or the project was in safe, safe hands, hands because you were going to pay attention to all of the details. Uh, and I'm not taking any shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> no shortcuts no, at shortcut. all. So talk, you've been at um, Appleton Estate for 42 years, as you said. That's a very long time. But you, just rewinding a little, you apprenticed for 17 years mm -hmm. or you worked mm -hmm. under Owen for 17 years. I feel like, as you said about the young people, myself included, <laughs> the idea of working at the same company for 42 years is incomprehensible to like our generation. And even being an apprentice or working mm -hmm. under somebody learning for that long is incomprehensible. What do you think you gained from having that tutelage uh, under this amazing master blender? You see, the rum industry is a very complex one. And when you start to age your rum, uh, there are a lot of rums that you really don't know what the final transformation is until 25 years then. Mm. And I found that quite fascinating when he said, Owen said to me, you're not really not going to know that true rum until 25 years then. So you developed a lot of patience. Mm. And in that era, you know, people didn't move 
from job to job. Like you, you'll be seen as somebody who is unstable if you started working for somewhere and after three years you left and went to another job. You know, your parents would say to you, what is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. You know, I, why are you moving from job to job? Which is different now. Yeah. You know, people just gain experience, they get a promotion, they move on. But it taught me to be patient and to learn my craft and to learn as much as I could from Owen. Mm. And when you were finally appointed Master Blender, what were some of the ways that you innovated or that you took your sensory approach to that role? I think the, f the first room that I was asked to create was to celebrate the 250th anniversary mm. of the Appleton Estate. And incidentally, it's this room, Oof. the Appleton Estate, eight-year-old. So I have to tell you that I developed this blend with fear and trepidation, mm. saying, hmm, are the males really going to accept this rum? You know, do they think it's going to be a good rum? So I worked hard and I worked hard and I said, you know, Joy, just be yourself. Mm. Just apply your passion and your craft and you'll be successful. So I, uh, the rums that Owen did tend to be very oaky. Mm. And I wanted to move a little bit from that oakiness to have a little bit more spiciness in the rum, a little bit more fruitiness. And so the first rum that I did is a nice spicy fruity rum with just subtle oak. Amazing. And actually, because I'm curious about it myself and hopefully some of the audiences, could you tell us about the process of making rum and actually start by saying the difference between a distiller and a blender? Because I'm familiar with the phrase a distiller or a distillery, but I'm not quite sure how that differs to a master mm -hmm. blender. Tell us that first and then tell us how does a rum get made from start to finish? Okay. So the distiller distills the rum and we have different types of rums that are distilled. When he does a distillation, I now take those different components mm. and based on the flavor profile and the chemistry, blend them together to create the various expressions we have in the Appleton Estate range. So the distiller is not a blender, he just distills the rum off the still. So, the, so he's taking all of these formulations sort of, like a formulation, a product, and then you blend them all together. Yeah, he just makes the product and the in because we have individual types of rums, what we call a mark. Maybe when I explain the process, they will understand. So some of the rums I blend together like 20 different components like oh, this wow. rum. Yep. And, and he does not do any blending at all. Mm. He just distills the product. Then we tell him whether his, his product is good, his quality is good because he can get a rejection from us, mm. right? So and many times that's very stressful for the distiller when we tell him that that rum isn't perfect. You know, that's not what we want in our process. And then tell us about the process because you're, the, the estate is in this very unique part mm -hmm. of Jamaica, right in the middle in a valley. And the nature, you said it's got the claim terrar. Yes. How do I say, am I saying yes, it right? Yes, terrar. <laughs> what is that? And then tell us this process. So Appleton Estate is located in the heart of Jamaica and we're in a very unique geographical lo location, unique terroir, where we have these beautiful karst hills. They actually look like an egg box turned upside down, mm. surrounding this amazing valley known as the Nassau Valley. Now, these karst hills are made of limestone, and you actually have little membranes where water move from one hill to the next. Now, because of these hills surrounding the valley, we have daytime heating. Mm. And every day at about 2.30, we have daily showers of rain. So the soil is rich and fertile and perfect for growing the sugarcane, which is a starting material. So we don't have to use any artificial irrigation at Appleton Estate because everything is rain-fed. So we have 
the Appleton Estate uh, experience. So if you come there on the tour, come early because you're going to get wet at 2.30. <laughs> but we do have umbrellas there waiting because that's part <laughs> of the staging for the distillery. So we go to sugarcane for one year. And so when we have the sugarcane, it goes to a sugar factory. They make sugar and molasses is a byproduct. Molasses still has a lot of sugars in it. So we add water from a beautiful spring on the estate. That's about 10 miles from the distillery. And that water actually filters through the limestone hill from Trelawney over into St. Elizabeth. Wow. At, You're really drinking yeah. Jamaica. Yes, drinking. really drinking Jamaica. <laughs> and that white water has a nice sweet soft taste. And incidentally, that spring is the origin of the Black River. Mm. So the Black River starts on the Appleton Estate and then flows for 33 miles to the sea. So we take that water and we dilute the molasses because we have to dilute the sugars. We add yeast that we specially culture in our laboratory. The yeast now acts on the sugars, converts it into alcohol. And after 36 hours, we have fermented molasses that now has 7% alcohol. So we have to concentrate that to give you your final rum, which is at 86%. So that's when distillation comes into being. So we take that, pass it through a nice small batch copper pot still, that has a special design. Mm -hmm. And because of this special design, it creates that distinctive orange peel top note, which is the hallmark of the Appleton Estate range. So the distiller now distills it through this equipment. Then the rum comes off as a liquid at 86%. And we can produce different types of pot still rums from that still. D different flavor profile, yep. different specification. So each of them sent in a tanker into Kingston. We receive them. And that's when I do my art. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? Like, I know we just buy things all the time. We buy them, consume them, and we don't actually know the artistry and the nature and the science that goes into this final product. So thank you so much for telling us that. I would really love to know more about the rum industry as a whole. It, you've already said it was incredibly male-dominated. You were uh, appointed the master blender, but globally known as the first female master blender. What was the reception like, both within Jamaica, in the spirits community, and outside of Jamaica? Believe it or not, the biggest resistance I had was in Jamaica, mm. with men, right? Still not believing that a woman could become a, um, a master blender. The reception globally was excellent. I thought that male journalists would not accept me, but they um, welcomed me with open arms, and they were quite excited to see a change in the dyma dynamics of the rum industry. How did you deal with the people in Jamaica not necessarily taking to you straight away? What was your attitude? Listen to me. I just ignored the noise in the hallway, focused on my craft and my passion, and let my work speak for itself. Mm. That's always the best way, isn't it? You let your work speak for itself. At this time now, you are also a mother. I feel like you're a mother to many. You're already a mother to me right now. I'm loving it. But you've got two adult children mm -hmm. now, but at the time you had two young children. Mm -hmm. How did you balance this traveling all around the world, being ambassador, blender, having this really um, senior role, as well as being a mother of two children? It wasn't easy, but what you have to do is to plan your time efficiently. So what I would do is to make sure that I did not take lunch. I would work during my lunchtime so I could go and do the pickup carry them home, do homework. I never missed a PTA, I never missed any activity. And I can tell you I had a very difficult job. I remember one night we were having 
a major production problem. Mm -hmm. In December, it was Christmas, everybody wanted their rum. And I had to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. My husband was understanding, so we wrapped up the children, put them in the car, they're still sleeping, drove down to Spanish Town Road. From Kingston, in the night? No, yeah, yeah. Where, where we live was in New Kingston, so we went down to Spanish Town Road because there's no way at 2 a.m. I would be driving there alone, right? <laughs> and so he sat in the car with the children while I went into the blending hall. We did the filtration, did tests, did trials, and we were finished at 5 a.m. And then we had to go home, back, let them get another hour's sleep to get ready for school again. And so you really have to learn to balance what you're doing. And you know, my daughter keeps saying to me, because she now has a two-year-old, she yeah. says, Mom, how did you ever do this? Because I'm not really appreciating exactly what you did, because you never missed any activity for us. You're always there for us. And you're still performing at work. It's, 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 you have to balance. But it's, it's a difficult balance. It's not easy. But you're grateful you did it. You're happy you did yeah, it. I'm happy I did it. Yeah, I'm and happy. now your children are incredibly accomplished and they're doing great things themselves. So you must have been doing something right. So tell me about your collaboration style because you, as a master blender, not only are you working with this incredible product, you are also working across different departments. You have to deal with the labs, you have to deal with the marketing team, you have to deal with the distillers, and there are lots of different personalities there. What would you describe as your style in working leadership collaboration? I'd have to tell you, first of all, I'm a no-nonsense person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they know when I'm coming to them that if I really see something going wrong, I'm just in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Tell them that, you know, you know, this is not really what the brand image is all about and this is how we really should approach it. But I have a very good relationship with everybody. Um, most of the workers in production call me mommy, mm. right? Because I'm always sitting and listening to their problems, talking about their family lives, helping them financially where I can. And so it's, you know, it's a good rapport that I really have with the staff. And so it's like a big mother to everybody. So building relationships in the workplace has always been part of what you've done, even from a student. Yes, always been a part of it. But at university, I was like president of every organization there. On top of your studies, On top of you were doing studies. extracurricular activities. Yeah, I, I was carnival queen, you wouldn't believe it. Oh, I would. <laughs> I definitely would. <laughs> so, sorry, I just was imagining you as carnival queen then, which I completely did. So on top of your studies, you're always building networks, having mm -hmm. relationships and doing mm -hmm. things. You're like the ultimate stack woman, I would say. It's like, do your studies, <laughs> but also party time, right? Yeah, party time. <laughs> yeah, you loved it. And now in your role, um, traveling around the globe as ambassador as well mm -hmm. to the brand. So taking away from your blending role, what do you do in terms of representing the brand now on a global stage? Well, first of all, I do a lot of consumer education and interviews with journalists helping to elevate the brand and that um, consumers understand much more what the Appleton Estate range is all about. And my leader there, Lily, has had me from morning till midnight every day this week, <laughs> moving from one place to the next, meeting with bartenders, meeting with trade, meeting with journalists here at this amazing event. <laughs> and thanks for having me. And so it has been an amazing week. and. And everybody is so excited mm. about the project that we came here for, for the launch of our 17-year-old rum. 
and everyone in the UK is excited. And I have to tell you, we were crossing the walkway, going to Harvey Nichols yesterday, and I only heard somebody shout out, Joy, Joy. And then Lily, she was shocked. How come in the middle of London somebody's calling your name? And when I turned around, it was a bartender that I met several years ago, but we developed a wonderful relationship, but he went away. And I could not believe it was him, and we hugged and we embraced. And Lily's taking us out of the road because cars are now coming to meet us down. <laughs> What was a beautiful moment. That's amazing. <laughs> you are so passionate about women and getting more girls into STEM and more girls into the spirits industry. Talk to me about your philanthropic work and the work that you do from a social impact. Yes, so I do a lot of philanthropic work, helping young ladies to pursue a career in STEM because they are not in a position to afford the university education. So we have scholarships. I provide scholarships and um, the Renevier Foundation also provides scholarships for the, they call it the Master Blender Scholarship. And so for my 40th anniversary, this was really touching. Renevier provided me with $20 million wow. to support 40 of my favorite charities. And so the first part of the project, I spent um, providing Joy to the World Technology Centers for Children's Home because that was just right at the end of COVID and nobody was paying these four children any mind because mm. everybody was at home trying to find you know, if we have enough cell phones for the children to use at home, if we have a laptop or tablet, and they were so grateful for it. The next program was a breakfast feeding program for the primary school children at, around the Appleton Estate, the schools around the Appleton Estate, because I noticed many times when I'm driving there, I notice the children really look a little hungry. Mm. So because sometimes the parents just can't afford breakfast. They, they eat a meal when they go to school. And then the last project was to have donations, one to a non-traditional high school, and then I donated to my alma mater, the University of the West Indies, um, to uh, $1 million to upgrade wow. the chemistry lab that was in a bad state. <laughs> That's incredible. Let's give her a round of applause on that. <laughs> so. We're going to take some questions shortly, so please be ready for your questions for Joy. But before we do, I just want to ask you, Joy, 42 years at the company, you know, it's amazing like how you're so passionate about the brand, you working from everyone from the bartenders all the way to journalists and consumer. Do you have any plans to retire? Not just yet. I have some major projects still to complete. <laughs> And I still need to spread the joy of rum all over the world and spread Jamaica. Um, I think one of, the, one of the greatest achievements I've had is receiving national honors from the government of Jamaica for my contribution to not only brand Jamaica, but the rum industry. That's incredible. You don't need to retire, innit? Got, <laughs> got stuff to do, got projects to work on. on. Do we have any questions from the audience? Yes, Olivia, go ahead. Um, so, Shaw-and-I-are-part-of-the-Jamaican-diaspora-and-we're-very-keen-to-go-back-to-Jamaica-and-so-rich-in-Jamaica-what-advice-would-you-give-to-us-as-British-like-born-Jamaicans-and-how
say, okay, we're going to donate wheelchairs to Jamaica. They don't know the intricacies of bringing in a wheelchair, what to do to not to pay duty, how to get it through customs. So get yourself linked to a good network and then the rest is yours. Amazing. <laughs> what sort of projects do you think that the STAT community, which we are in Club Jamaica right now, can support with, especially for women and girls? Oh my goodness, the girls' homes. They need help. Mm. They need a lot of help. And what is so sad? Do you mean like a children's home? Yeah. yeah. What they have, the all-female children's yeah. homes, and they need so much help um, because they get very little support. The mm. government supports them to a point, but they need tools for school. They need um, personal items. They have to leave at I think age sixteen, mm. and then and, they're out by themselves, and they're out on their own to have a program that you can support them still so they don't go out and get pregnant and then life is over at that point in time. So I think the girls' homes definitely need some support. We can get on that. Thank you so much. Any other questions? Yes, over here. Well, first of all, this year we unveiled a monument in memory of the slaves that work at Appleton Estate. And the monument has the names of all the slaves that work at Appleton Estate. And the monument is titled, Lest We Forget. Mm. And I was an integral part of that project, getting it up and going. And in addition to that, we created a history book for Appleton Estate. And in that history book, it spoke about the slaves, you know, who were the workers there, who helped to build the rum industry in Jamaica. So um, it was very touching for me. It was a very touching project. And when we did the unveiling, you know, some persons were crying. Um, it was a tearjerker. But that's the reality that we moved from there and we got abolition of slavery and workers continued to work in the rum industry and it has made Jamaica rum a powerful rum, a powerful brand today. You know, Jamaica rum is known for its excellent quality, consistency and consumers appreciate what we're doing in Jamaica in producing this amazing brand, Appleton Estate. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Yes, go ahead. I think it's just today that I realised that there's actually a link between Ray Nephew and Appleton. I always thought that they were big rivals. So what oh, okay. is the, the link? Well, the parent company is known as J. Ray Neville Limited, and then J. Ray Neville Limited owns Appleton Estate and New Yarmouth Estate. So Appleton Estate makes Appleton Estate rooms, and New Yarmouth makes Ray Neville Overproof rooms. And they're, they're owned above by, by Campari, Campari as Campari. well. So the spirits industry is really fascinating. <laughs> it's like lots of houses and the houses own the smaller houses. Thank you. But yeah, know that they're 
Sisters in arms, not enemies. Yes. You know? <laughs> Support each other big time. <laughs> Um, I just want to ask one final question because what I'm struck by on your whole journey is how incredibly um, confident you are and how you seem to just set your mind to something and get it done. What is your secret to your confidence and your vision setting? I think you have to be passionate about your craft. So you have to have that passion. If you're not interested in what you're doing, forget it. Go and find something else to do. So you have to have that passion. You have to be a sponge for knowledge. You never ever stop learning. Don't believe you know everything. You will never ever know anything. I am still learning about the spirit industry after 42 years in it. Remain humble, that's very important. Humility is very important. Have a lot of empathy. It's very important to understand people, help people along the way, because that's what is going to make you strong and make you bold. And so the sky's the limit if you just do all of that. Thank you so much, Joy, for that wisdom. <laughs> Thank you all. I'm sure that you all agree. Joy is incredibly inspiring. What an amazing story. From being adopted, being a three-year-old extra teacher <laughs> on her bench, <laughs> all the way to studying chemistry, coming to London by herself to do a master's. Can you imagine in the 70s? In 70s Britain! Yes. And then going back to Jamaica to honor her country, our country, and actually give back. And all the work that you do for women as well around the world and around Jamaica is so, so inspiring and what we really care about at the stack. So let's give Joy a big round of applause. Thank you. And now that you've described the estate, so I've been to Jamaica like many times, almost 20, maybe 10 times, and I've never been to the estate. Oh no, you have to come. But we're now all gonna go, aren't we? Yes. We're gonna go on a group trip. We're gonna go and we're gonna hopefully volunteer for some of the girls' homes as well that you've told us about. It'd be really amazing to do more cultural exchange work in Jamaica. Everyone in this room has amazing skills that could help somebody and we need to learn from them as well. So I think that we should be getting together in Club Jamaica to talk about that, to do a trip. You've got classrooms there and now the tour is actually named after Joy. So we have to do the Joy Spence Estate Tour as well as work in the classrooms. What's the classroom called? Oh, the room is, is the Joy Spence room. The Joy Spence room. <laughs> I'm loving it, right? So we're going to go and we're going to do some work mm. in Jamaica because I think this is really, really important. It's important. Yeah. So thank you all so much for coming. We're going to head off. You can stay in the room till nine o'clock. Please drink all the rum. Don't forget to take a goodie bag and connect with each other because when I moved here to London, it took me so long to meet other Jamaican women and now live my little sister over there that we've just met so i think it's really important as i've said before that we stay connected to our heri heritage and tara it'd be really great as well for you to help us learn and understand how we can get more involved in the council too thank you all so much have a great evening Executive Realness is brought to you by The Stack World, a media and community platform where you can learn from powerful women. Join The Stack World today and build your new peer network with thousands of members who are all looking to grow themselves personally and professionally. Download The Stack World app now on iOS or Android. You'll find the links in the show notes.